This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, there is an article recently on Bloomberg, Bloomberg.com, Terminal, by Rachel Evans that sort of broke the terminal. That's one of the things we like to say when it gets really high readership. And it was about Spy. Yeah, I know an article's big when a lot of people forward it to me and say, did you see this? Did you see this? And that happened with this article. It was all over Twitter. People could not believe it. And honestly, I didn't know about it specifically. I knew Spy was a unit investment trust, but I didn't know this detail and about these kids that were tied to it. And I thought it was fascinating. So to break this down, we brought Rachel in as well as some of the Spy kids. Rachel, how did you find out about the story and, and what is it all about? Well, as Eric pointed out, like this is something that blew up on Twitter. And that's actually where we first came across this. Uh, someone posted on Twitter last week, uh, or I guess two weeks ago when this goes out, that they found this like weird kind of sentence in the documentation for Spy about how it had A, uh, a set termination date, which is not usual in exchange-traded funds, and B, that the fund would either end at this termination date or when the last of 11 people named in the documentation died. So I got sent this uh, email from a, a, a colleague of mine out in Hong Kong saying, this is the most fun ETF story ever. And I kind of agree. And, and Spy, for those who don't know, this is the biggest ETF out there. Eric, you, you talk about it all the time because of how much it trades. Yeah, just to just drop some figures on Spy, it is the most traded equity, right? There's four to 6,000 stocks that are trading every day. Spy trades about $20 billion a day. That's about three or four times more than the next most which would be Amazon or Apple, depending on the day. Um, so in my opinion, SPY has become somewhat of a sun that a lot of the market revolves around. There's options. The options activities on, on SPY is, is massive. The trading in it is massive. People use it for liquidity. They use it for long-term investing. Um, and what's interesting is it's probably the product that has the most diversified group of investors, from traders to hedge funds to institutional investors. It's got 20% foreign investors. Everybody is in this. And unlike other S&P 500 ETFs, this one, like we mentioned, is a trust. So the structure is a little bit different, and that's ultimately where the spike kids come in. Yeah, so uh, a UIT was basically chosen as the structure for the first ETF. Um, we had, you know, after the 1987 uh, exchange crash, we had a lot of people at the, the American Stock Exchange looking for a way to make a tradable product like SPY ended up being. And to do so, they started looking at what structure might work best and settled on a unit investment trust because it tr- trades a bit like a, it can be used to trade a bit like a stock, but it also has that kind of investment side of things. But one of the issues with a UIT is that they have to have or at the time, had to have a set termination date to deal with the rule against perpetuities. And let me add a little more to this, because uh, 
when and when you're talking about ETFs, the regulatory structure is a field we have on Bloomberg to identify what kind of structure because there's different things that go along with it. UITs, which there's uh, a handful, maybe half a dozen ETFs that are structured as UITs, but they have 10% of the assets or 360 billion. SPY, the Qs, DIA, MDY are the big popular ones. And a couple things, not just the termination date, which we'll get into uh, heavily in a minute, but they can't invest dividends back every day. They can only invest them quarterly. So there's a little tiny bit of cash drag in a UIT, although that can help if it's going down because you don't want to invest back into the market. The other thing is they can't do securities lending. Other ETFs, which are open-end funds, can lend securities. That isn't a huge deal in large-cap stocks, but that can add a little extra revenue. So all told, SPY is actually the worst performing of the S&P 500 ETFs because of those reasons and because uh, its fee is a little higher. So a lot of sometimes long-term investors will choose IVV or VU over SPY for those reasons. But the liquidity is so paramount that most people, uh, it, all that doesn't matter. They're just going after that liquidity. And one of the things that Rachel discovered about this was that that trust was actually set to expire in 2018. But one of the things that happened was that it was extended because of the trust being able to attach itself to individuals. Yeah. So this was kind of like this weird quirk um, that, that we kind of came across. Initially, the, the trust was yeah set up for 25 years. So 25 years from 1993, that puts you up last year. So we could have seen the SPY maturing or terminating at, at that point. However, when it became apparent that this was going to be more than just a, a sort of you know flash in the pan uh, kind of success, that they worked to extend the trust and they extended it 100 years. And then to give it a bit of extra juice, uh, they added the names of these 11 individuals and stated that the fund would survive um, to 20 years beyond the last of their deaths, potentially giving it a little bit of extra extension. No pressure, guys. That's where this week's episode comes in. This time on Trillions, Spy Kids. So joining us this time, we've got Paul Pavelka, Kevin McGrath, and Alexander Most. Alexander Most is actually the grandson of Nathan Most, who actually invented, co-invented, spy in the first place. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us. Good to be here. So trace to us, we'll start with Kevin. What person, what adult, when you were a baby, put your name in here? Sure. It's uh, my mom, Claire McGrath. Uh, She worked for Amex as a counsel at the time. Uh, She was a lawyer. And um, maybe it's uh, best if I go back to uh, how this kind of all started last Thursday. I was uh, reached out to by a reporter via LinkedIn who uh, contacted me and asked me if my name was Kevin Patrick McGrath, which is strange because I don't really use my middle name in any type of dot. Like, I think it's maybe only on my passport. And he laid out this whole thing. Did you have a family member who was in finance? Uh, uh, You know, you're connected to this very large fund. To me, I'm reading this as, uh, you know, this is like a very elaborate uh, scam, Nigerian prince scam. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is, uh, you guys are really getting into that. <laughs> uh, so I was like, okay, send me the copy of the filing. I, I want to see it. Not thinking this would turn into anything. Not only he sends me the filing link, but he sends the an attachment with our names. And it's my name, his name, cousin Paul, and uh, our cousin Pete. So now then, like, like, I was like, whoa, this is weird. And another thing that triggered it for me just scrolling through the filing was Spider. 
Um, I recognized the name Spider. I went uh, visiting my mom's office as a kid. There was a lot of, you know, the one thing every kid does is go to the swag room. And uh, I remember seeing the Spider logo. And, uh, you know, eight to ten year old boy, it's like, oh, wow, cool. Spider. My like, mom has yeah, the coolest job I in know, the world. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like awesome. Um, that definitely lit a bell. I knew it had to be related to something she did. Uh, my concern is like, is, did she get me something involved in sketchy, or is this like? I assume it was normal. I, you know, my mom wouldn't do that. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of off from there. It was it's pretty wild. Um, Rachel contacted us. Uh, I spoke to her, and it's just been a very surreal week. <laughs> so, Paul, what memories of Spy do you have? Because you and Kevin actually have known each other outside of the Spy Kid relationship, right? Yes, that's right. We uh, we grew up together. Um, my dad is originally from Long Island, so for holidays and in the summer, we would, as a family, go and visit Kevin and his mom and dad. And so as far as Spider goes, uh, this was all completely new to me as of last Thursday. Kevin reached out to me as I'm getting ready for work. I'm, I work in Philadelphia. I am a bartender. And all of a sudden, I get a text message from Kevin who goes, are reporters trying to reach out to you? <laughs> now, you know, I'm sitting on the bus on my way to work, uh, and, like, why, why? Why are reporters reaching out? Like, uh, you know, there's, like, a certain panic that sets in. What did in. I do? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Why is my cousin that lives in New York asking me and my brother if we're hearing from reporters, okay? There's just, like, a fair amount for a regular Joe Schmo person. There's, like, a fair amount of, like, horror that goes into that. What went viral this time, you know? <laughs> And come to find out, I spoke with Rachel as well, you know, standing in an alleyway waiting to, you know, go into work. And I'm on the phone with her and she explains how all of this happened. And between Kevin sort of giving me a heads up that, hey, there's this reporter from Bloomberg that's going to reach out to you. And actually speaking to her properly is is how I've been brought up to speed, if you want to even call it that. This is still pretty much the intro is a little over my head. <laughs> it's still at this point. That's all Alexander's fault, actually. Right? <laughs> or maybe Alexander, maybe it was your grandfather's fault. What memories of Nathan Most do you have, Alexander? Yeah, so, you know, I remember Nathan Most pretty well. He passed away when I was younger, but he was always, you know, a large figure, patriarch in my family, someone who lived a couple towns away from me in California. But I really didn't know much about his history and involvement in the finance world and the history of ETFs, uh, really until last Thursday when I got a lot more context and learned a lot more about it. Do you even remember him telling you stories about the ETF or, or him being the godfather of the ETF or anything like that? I'm not a single thing about that, to be honest. Generally, our conversations revolved around what was for dinner that night. <laughs> okay. it, this is like old school godfather. You don't discuss yeah. <laughs> business at the dinner table, it's Joel. Right. Come on. <laughs> I should have known better, yeah. <laughs> I also spoke with uh, Alexander's uh, father and uncle about their memories of Nate for, for the story. Um, I was pretty much tracking down everybody's immediate family and having a conversation. So uh, that was kind of like great just to get some real color about what they remember about uh, you know Nathan at that time and visiting the American stock exchange and hearing about his work so i think you know it's given us all a lot more history um, about actually how spy kind of came into being than maybe we knew this time last week and um so there was 11 of them was there like an email like not i guess it was 93 were they sending an email maybe they actually had a memo back in the day whatever did they get uh the word get around the office that courier we need, that we need like baby names and can you just talk about how that 
how they how the eleven got chosen. Yeah, so I mean, I had a hunch when I was trying to to figure out who the eleven were that maybe they were connected to the American Stock Exchange, and that that proved to be largely correct. Uh, yeah, my understanding is basically they just put out a call for baby names. I'm not sure whether that was done by email or carrier pigeon or, or what, but uh, yeah, um, Claire spoke to me. Uh, Kevin's mom spoke to me about um, how she remembers hearing people just asking for for names of, of younger relatives that they could put in this trust. You know, obviously, uh, the parents kind of were involved uh, in the Amex, many of them directly with actually setting up the ETF. So they were relatively comfortable with, with their kids' names being used. You've got to remember, this is a pretty arcane legal document. And to your point about email, you know, the internet hadn't really begun doing its thing in the early 90s. So the likelihood that this their names would ever come to, to light from this, you know, they're going to be buried in a document in the, the, the SEC's vaults. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of came forward with these names. You know, we had communications, um, people like giving their step-grandkids. We had, uh, you know, sort of some of the, the specialists at the time that were going to be trading that ETF, giving their daughter. So yeah, it was a, it's a very odd thing, but uh, that's how it kind of came about. And why 11? That's a great question. I have absolutely no idea. I think they wanted to move... If you have one, obviously that's a bit risky. So, I mean, Diversification. I, have, I don't know whether any of the, 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 the spy kids know this, but my, my kind of sense is that it was just a, a large enough group whereby you're not putting all of that pressure on one person to stay alive. Did you guys look at the other 11 names? Mm-hmm. How many do you guys know? Uh, I don't know any of them, but uh, my mom... Just you, I mean, Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, Alexander, Alexander, my you younger brother is also one of the 11, but he works for the water department, so he didn't get off today, unfortunately. <laughs> He's not a bartender like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, and Alexander, um, how many names did you know? Absolutely none at all. To be honest, I'm surprised that anyone knew anyone at all. So cousins right here. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, part of it was um, also, I don't know why the number, but uh, I think part of why my cousins and I were chosen because I think they wanted some geographical diversity as well. That's like another big thing. But um, yeah, a lot of the people were names my mom recognized. Uh, Weber, I think who you spoke, Claire Weber is Cliff Weber's daughter. He was a big part of this. Rachel, I have a question for you. How did you track them down? I'm just curious. I'm not sure if you can unveil your methods, but was it like Google to LinkedIn to... All of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like rule 101 of a reporter is just be dogged and keep looking. Um, So, I mean, given we had a list of full names, had a list of some addresses, list of dates of birth, really Google and then just hitting the phones. You can't beat a good bit of uh, sort of old fashioned footwork in trying to track people down. Did you reach out to anybody who was like... No comment. Stay away from me. Kevin alluded to thinking that this was a, a scam when he was first reached <laughs> out to on, on LinkedIn. And I definitely spoke with a couple of other people directly who were like, mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Yeah, my work says you're trying to fish me. Um, so there, there were a few people that were very suspicious of this and completely understandably so. I mean, it's not every day you get a call completely out of the blue where somebody has your full name, your address, your relationships with various people. I can totally understand how it would freak anybody out and trying to reassure people that I wasn't there to fish them. I just had this like really odd story about how they were connected to a $250 billion fund, uh, which again sounds very scammy, it was a little bit of a challenge. How would you like to make $250 billion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Rachel, the Nigerian princess. <laughs> I do have a question for Rachel, actually. So you're the one who did like a lot of the research mm. on, on this. We're 11 individuals. We are named in this document. Is there, in your research, is there somebody keeping track of us 
I mean, Aunt Claire said that she didn't give them like our social security numbers. <laughs> our my parents don't remember giving my aunt our social security numbers to be attached to this document. So like, what if we change our names? What if we like decide to go underground? Like, how will that impact? Yeah, this, this, this? hit up Deedpol, get that name I, changed. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's a great know? question. Um, and we actually reached out to um, State Street that currently uh, runs the fund to see if they had any comment on this or any color on, on what they were doing to keep tabs on things. And, and they referred comment to the New York Stock Exchange, which obviously bought the Amex who declined to comment. Ah. So we don't know. I mean, it seems as though at the moment your, your names are out there and I'm sure people are keeping a closer watch on you than maybe they were before. There's but, some um, sort of room that has all of our pictures and heartbeats and what current locations, known aliases. No, that... you should do that at the bar. Uh, well, I mean... Yeah, no, I don't know if anyone's actually oh keeping a, a direct record. So, I mean, it seems like you, you guys are probably uh, safe in that respect for now. All right, very cool. Good. Good to know. I can sleep easy tonight. So what if you wanted to get your name removed from this? I am not sure. You would have to ask a unit investment trust lawyer. My understanding is that these things can be amended, so you could replace the list with other babies, but I'm not sure whether you could remove one name. Right. I um, I have some lawyer regulars that sit at the bar who will remain nameless. And after the first few like questions of, do you get the money? Uh, are they going to put a hit on you? Like uh, the, the, the next question that, the, of course, the lawyers asked is, how does this make you feel? Do you feel harmed by this? Is this... <laughs> causing emotional duress for you that reporters are coming out of the woodwork and 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 how does it feel that your exi- we only charge 250 dollars an hour <laughs> yeah 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 how do, how do you feel that your existence is tied to this multi-billion dollar thing right so the question was like well can we can we maybe get some legal money out of this some damages situation and listen if you bring a claim against whoever it would be that is like the the person that the claim would be brought against um i mean i'm obviously not suing aunt claire because i love my christmas presents um (laughs) if if we try to bring suit then they'll just amend us out they'll just be like all right well we're not going to give you damages you're just not part of this anymore and then me i won't have the 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 fun fact that alexander and kevin and i (laughs) pete all have so when when you went to aunt Claire or your mom, your aunt, right? <laughs> mom, did, mom for him. <laughs> did, did she have? I'm picturing a movie where they go, I knew this day would come. <laughs> like, did she sit you down and, and, you know, explain like who you are, like this special superpower you have? Or... A book. Uh, no, it was more, uh, did I do that? <laughs> um, it was what now? Yeah. Uh, you know, again, to go back to kind of Rachel's point that we were discussing a little bit earlier, these were. I think it's like a 60-plus page document that nobody was expect. I mean, people don't read their iTunes terms and conditions nowadays. That's like actual legal things that they should care about. And like now somebody's fishing through the 60-page filing for this ETF. I mean, obviously, it being the biggest ETF probably garnered that attention. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, she was totally like, I, yeah, I guess I must have. Um. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. 
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So, Alexander, when we talk to people in our in all of our conversations about exchange traded funds, Nathan Most is sort of viewed as as basically the guy who you know cr- created the thing, and so everything that we've seen ETFs do in in finance and foreign investors basically goes back to your grandfather, uh, Eric. When you kind of think about the impact that that's had in finance, like what you know, put it in context for us. I can't understate it. Um, I think, you know, besides Vanguard and John Bogle and introducing index funds and the mutual ownership structure, this is right up there in terms of things that have affected the financial markets in the last 50 years. Um, Nathan Most, who I researched a lot, I talked with your your grandfather's colleague named Steve Bloom uh, when I was researching a book. He's hard to reach. He's like Professor Faulkner from War Games. You can find him, but he it's hard. And I did get him on on the call on a call. For an hour, and he spoke very highly. Good, that was a good war games reference. Thank you. <laughs> it, it's it's totally appropriate. And just so you know, um, this was a big deal. H- um, him and your grandfather were in an office in the American Stock Exchange, which was in third place, right? So it was kind of a story of the down and out um, exchange looking for uh, an idea, and they found it in Spy. And your grandfather and Steve developed this product, and it took a while, but now ETFs take in. You know the majority of all new flows that in America. I mean, this is a big a big deal. Uh, thirty a half of the top thirty biggest asset managers have ETFs, and a lot of people are using them because they're cheap, tax efficient, yada yada. I equate them to the MP3. I think what he did was similar to the, what the MP3 did to music. So, what do you think of that? You know, I think it's really interesting, especially because I myself, the few investments I have are invested in ETFs, and it seems like that's really democratized investing and made accessible to just average people outside of actual managers. So it's a fascinating piece of history and kind of interesting to see where it's evolved. Can you uh, give us uh, any of the ETFs you, you own? I'm just curious. Um, I actually am invested in VOO. Oh, that's too oh, funny. That is awesome. By, by the okay, I have to say, so um, if you Google Nate Most, John Bogle, your grandfather mm-hmm. went to see Bogle to try to get the Vanguard 500 to be the first ETF and Bogle told him, no way, I don't want trading any, anywhere near my ETF. But apparently, Bogle says he gave him some ideas. So long story short, there's a lot of history in your VOO. That is so ironic. Okay, so Paul, <laughs> you're a bartender, 20-something, Sure. knew nothing about ETFs before this article published. How is this going to change your life? Well, for the record, I'm the oldest member of the spy group, um, so the de facto patriarch, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've been telling my bar guests about this, right? Because, you know, when you sit at a bar, it's dinner and a show. And the first question that they ask is, am I going to get any money out of this? And, you know, they're disappointed to hear, no, I'm not. <laughs> but how, how, do you, how do you get into that? Is it like a little trivia about myself? Oh, it's actually ridiculously difficult to explain to anybody. Like, <laughs> hey, read this article that my name is in like four parts. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, and, it, and it's like 20 minutes later, they're done their drink. There's, there's tickets printing in the back that I'm just ignoring because I'm trying to explain this to my bar guests. 
And most of the time, they still don't get it. So <laughs> the question that I get asked after that is, well, do they want to kill you <laughs> to make the to make the trust mature? <laughs> And that was, you know, that was my second question. Like, is Rachel putting me on a hit list right now? Is this is this happening? And um, I, I mean, you're the financial experts. I, I'm safe, I hope, right? Yeah, I mean, th- there are some desperate active mutual funds out there, but I don't think they go that far. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I got a number of pitches for potential thrillers based on the spy kids, how they're all bumped off secretly over a period of time and what happens to this 250 billion fund. But no, rest assured, it's 20 years after the death of the last person, definitely enough time for the managers of the fund to sort it out, making bumping you guys off very, very uh, unnecessary indeed. Right. If somebody wants to make money from this trust, they can just sell their shares. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, don't please keep that in mind. Would, would be hit people. <laughs> Uh, so, what actually does happen when this, you know, expiration date gets hit in twenty one hundred eighteen? So um, we will see the termination of SPY if we get to that point. However, uh, the lawyers that I have spoken to since have uh, emphasized the fact that the rule of perpetuities has now been taken off the books in New York. So there is the potential to just amend SPY again and extend uh, the termination date out further or remove the termination date altogether. Potentially, you could have another group of babies put in to to give it that lifespan um, aspect, but you don't need to, given that the rule of perpetuities has ended. So you could have a a new fund set up to, to gradually take the assets, you could have another amendment. But ultimately, it seems like spy or equivalent is not going anywhere. So Kevin, how, how did this article, you, you work in finance a little bit, you're in PR. How did this, this article change things for you? Um, well, I just kind of learned a lot. Um, that's probably the most interesting thing. I mean, I knew what my mom did. I always was kind of um, just being tangentially, you hear talk over the dinner table, you know, that type of thing. But it was just interesting to hear really like the story of how this, you know, why they chose the Unitary Investment Trust. You know, it was really because at the time they had to push this through the SEC and they actually had to get two divisions of the SEC to work on this. So they wanted to keep it as simple as possible and they had to um, basically take a known vehicle for this investment and that's how they basically settled on this Unitary Investment Trust. And that's why they had to put our names in. And that's, you know, again, the rule of perpetuities, like you were saying before. I mean, I think that's really the fascinating story of just persistence in, like, creating this fu- new vehicle uh, for investment, maybe a Michael Lewis book. <laughs> for me, it always speaks to the fact that, you know, behind all of the finance industry, there are people, right? Yeah. And, like, you know, we've interviewed a lot of people who were around the creation of it. And there was so much pride in it because people were just like, hey, we can create something new. I think finance sometimes gets a bad rap, rightfully so. But the other side of it is a lot of people have made a lot of money thanks to the innovations that have come through this. And those are rooted in in people and ideas. Alexander, how do you think this article will change things for you? Well, I have the greatest fun fact of all time now. But besides that, I really just wonder, you know, we talked about the potential intrigue around us being assassinated or something. I think that the people in the financial industry should uh, pay to keep me healthy so this stays around. I second that. <laughs> At least the investor should, that's for sure. And Alexander, did anybody from your family say anything or have any reaction I mean, so it was actually uh, my mom that first got the phone call at our family office, and then she's the one who contacted me with the ridiculous $250 billion number, which we've many times mentioned seemed like a scam. Everyone thought it's pretty cool and been talking about it. I've been reached out to plenty of times. 
Um, and we all want some sort of money out of this, so it doesn't look <laughs> like Amen, it's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, I spoke with a lot of um, the, the parents here. I spoke with uh, Claire and, and with her husband, George, uh, and they, they were both kind of like, oh, I vaguely remember something like this, but I didn't expect it to be, come back to me, you know, 25 years later. What they should have done is given you a couple shares of Spy. Want to guess how much it up, is up since 1993? How much? A cool 1,000%. <laughs> yeah, so $10 nice would be whatever. Joel, you tell me the math on that. You know, a, a few more than it was then. <laughs> Uh, all right, Alexander, Paul, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on Trillions. Oh, Rachel, the Nigerian princess, as always, well done. Pleasure. Thank you. If you're interested in learning more about the creation of Spy, Eric and I actually have a special season of Trillions called The ETF Story that you can find on Bloomberg or iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you'll get to hear from the very people around the creation of Spy and how it came into being. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can find Rachel at Rachel Evans underscore NY. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.